Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert. I'm Dan Rathers, and I'm joined by Monica Rathers. Hello. Hi. Hi. We finally announced that we're related today. <laughs> the Rathers. <laughs> Guys, I just, I'm going to jump right to it because there, there was a little Easter egg left in a previous fact check about a certain guest whose smile had the power to explode your garments. That's right. Everything <sighs> uh, disintegrated. <laughs> Buttons popped. Oh my God! Crotch, Crotch exploded. exploded. <laughs> oh man, what a what a time to be alive and what a thing to witness. I'm so grateful for it. I really am. I didn't think that was possible. Yeah. In the, what the Newtonian physics I believe in. I didn't know that. It's rare that you get to see something like that in your life. A miracle. Yeah. Oh my God, Carmelo Anthony. What a dude. He is a ten time NBA All Star and currently plays for the Los Angeles Lakers. And he has a book out September 14th, Where Tomorrows Aren't Promised. And what's fantastic about this is it has virtually nothing to do with his life in the NBA. It's all about the road up to getting drafted yep. in the NBA. And what a colorful, wonderful story with amazing perspective. Oh, yeah. I'm adding him to the guys that, like, I want to, you know, get close to. Yeah, me too. I know. We both do. Should we set up a triple date with sure. them? Okay. I'll wear Carhartts so that, that my crotch can't explode. Uh, please enjoy Carmelo Anthony. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah. Easy peasy? So easy. The best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. Okay, when did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Well, let's just say I'm a weirdo and I want to be messy and see what you're up to, like who you're hanging with. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. I knew you did that. <laughs> no, I did not do that. <laughs> I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends and then use that money any place Apple Pay is accepted. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Monica, please keep it in the chat. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC, terms apply. He's an armchair expert. Well, you're catching us on a bad day. I'm going to be forthcoming with y'all. Monica suffers from seasonal affective mood disorder. The sun ain't out. She's miserable. Self-diagnosed, but it's it's real. It's, it's real. The struggle's real. <laughs> Not a real thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you're middle class, it's a real thing. <laughs> it's a privilege. I never disease. met anyone on my dirt road that had it, but <laughs> yeah. So Monica's dealing with a real rough case of sad. I'm actually doing well, pretty good today. 
I kind of forced you to. Yeah, because you're Because I was grumpy today. Yeah. Carmelo, I'm grumpy today. <laughs> I didn't sleep enough, and I'm a baby. If I wake up and I know I only slept six hours, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, oh, man, I'm going to be whooped all day. And then I just am. Oh, uh, yeah, you don't want to do that. Are you religious about sleep? I prefer eight hours, but that's rare for me to get eight hours of sleep. Because just you're so busy or it's hard for you to sleep more than eight hours? Well, it's just hard for me to kind of decompress a lot of times at night. I find it hard of just shutting my mind down because there's always something going on and I'm trying to like structure my next day and what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it. And I get a call from the team and say detour. It's just, it's a lot of things that goes into play. So falling asleep is the struggle. Staying asleep is the struggle. Mm. That's my favorite. So what I like to do, Mr. Anthony, is I like to wake up at about 3 a.m. and spend 45 minutes obsessing about something that when I wake up, I don't even care about. Like, <laughs> But at 3 in the morning, something has got to be done about something. And then when I wake up, I'm like, oh, I don't even care about that. I'll be asleep for a few hours, and then I wake up and just mull some things over. I do, too. Yeah, yeah. How old are you? Are you 36? 37. 37, Monica. That's very a young. stone throw away from yeah, your age. Yeah, very. Monica's turning 34 this week. Oh, congratulations. Happy birthday. Thank you. She made it. I made it to 34, <laughs> the ripe age. <laughs> so wait, you're in L.A. We really should have done this. Other than the fact that I don't like to be in pictures with people taller than me, it would have been great to have you. In person. We'd have been sitting down in the chair, so we'd have been good. But at the end, we take one picture outside like standing next to each other, and I would have looked like a... You would have been embarrassed. I would, it would have been hard for me to post that. <laughs> How tall are you? I'm 6'8". Yeah, that's respectable. That's a real yeah. height. Can that's you imagine us height. next to each other? I'm oh, five feet. I'd live for that photo. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's cool. It's not that bad. Have you ever seen that picture of Shaq and his girlfriend? I don't know if they're still boyfriend girlfriend, but he had a girlfriend for a moment that <laughs> she couldn't have been more than 3'11", or he's just that tall, but it looked insane. Like he was out with his grandchild. <laughs> I loved it. I was like, go get him. He's like that with everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess I felt that way when I stood next to him. And how many years have you been here? Just this year? <sighs> no, I've been in L.A. since uh, 2008. Oh, no oh, shit. Wow. Yeah, so I've been here for a while. So if you've been here for that long, were you always like, God, I hope I get on the Lakers? I never really thought about it. This was just a place that I come live here in the summertime that I can go back to whatever my respective city is. Yeah. And then luckily the Lakers must have been looking for like a local hire. They didn't want to pay like a relocation fee. <laughs> they didn't want to give you 2800 to get a moving truck. <laughs> so they saved a couple bucks. That's part of the collective bargaining agreement. Yeah, I bet they went into Jeannie Buss's office and they're like, all right, got good news and bad news. Bad news is we took it right in the ass on his fee, but great news, silver lining, no relocation fee. <laughs> no relocation fee. So they, yeah. they could save that on the bottom line. That's right. A big, big deduction. So I didn't read your whole book, but I read the proposal for your book. And immediately I was like, mind you, this is a bad habit of mine. I feel like I relate to everybody. But here's what I said. Here's a dude who's 6'8", Olympian, black. What on earth could I have in common with this guy? And then one of the very first lines I read is this line that says, I wanted to talk to my mom about the killings. But she was from a different generation and tired from holding down two jobs so we could eat. I didn't want to add to her struggle. 
Mm. And I was like, oh, my God. That was my fucking life. My life was <laughs> single mom, three kids. She's working as a janitor. I'm not dare asking for shoes. My brother wanted shoes and he wanted jeans. And I was like, I don't want anything. I'm not going to bring up anything ever. I'm just now at 46 realizing all the fallout of that, which is like the way I show somebody I love them is I'm not a pain in your ass. I will not be a burden to you. I will not ask you for shit. I'll handle my stuff. That's how I show you I love you. And then my wife's like, let me do things for you. And I'm like, no, no, don't do shit for me. I don't want anything done for me. Like, that would be me saying I don't value you or love you. And it's really fucked up, like, her love language and mine. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's just one of many outcomes of having that scenario as a kid. Like, single mom that's fucking killing herself. And you actually don't feel entitled to have any needs or wants or anything. Or at least that was my experience. Well, I needed a lot of shit growing up. Like okay. I wanted, it, like, I, I needed, it, I needed, and I wanted a lot of shit. So what I wanted didn't always add up to what I needed. So it was just more like this is my environment. This is every day for me. Seeing different people, seeing fights, seeing people get shot, and police chasing people and car chases. It's like drugs. This is my everyday life. So going to vent to my mom about it at that point in time, it was just like, ah, I deal with it on my own. Like, I'm, I see it every day, so I don't want to burden her. I know she's working two jobs, seven to nine every day. So at 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day with a one-hour break to go from one job to the other. So I didn't want to burden her. She knew the environment we was in. That's why I think she really started working the way that she was doing because she understood that, that environment that we was in. Do you think you were smart and savvy enough as a little kid to go like, oh, if I bring up the problems associated with where we're living, she's going to feel guilty? No, she knew. No. I mean, I, she, she, knew. I yeah, didn't, yeah. she knew what time it was. She knew what Baltimore was when we left from New York. I didn't know it. I thought the grass was greener going to Baltimore, but she knew like we leaving one trench to another trench. Like we got to, we in the bunker right now. So we gonna make way, we gonna make do. We got family here. But I was only supposed to go to Baltimore for that summer. Yeah, so you originally, you were born in Brooklyn. You lived there to what, you were eight? Yeah, like eight, nine, yeah. And there you lived in the Red Hook projects in Brooklyn. Yeah. But just going from Red Hook to Baltimore, for me, it was just like, damn, I'm getting out of a two-bedroom, three-bedroom project apartment with eight people in the house to I'm going to Baltimore. Now I'm in a roadhouse. We got row houses in Baltimore. So it's like, you go to a row house now, you got a small backyard, you got a basement, you got upstairs, downstairs. So it was things that was a lot different, but in retrospect, it was the same thing. We was just living under a different roof. It is funny. Did you have the experience, like when I was 18, I left Detroit, went on a road trip, got to LA, first stop, me and my best friend Aaron were like, we gotta go to South Central. So we go to South Central, and we're from Detroit. But Detroit is fucked up too, so De Detroit. <laughs> totally, so when you go to South Central, like I'm picturing something really intense, and I get there, I'm like, oh, this is where Ice Cube lived? Like 2,000 square foot house with a big yard? This, this looks on the surface like, oh, this isn't bad at all. But as you say, it's just all the same shit. It's just in a different shape. 
Yeah, it was a different shape. East and West is a lot different from a fabric standpoint, from a look standpoint. I would say Detroit and Baltimore look very similar. Both beautiful cities, both soulful at the core, music, culinary food, culture. That's what Baltimore is known for, jazz, right? Detroit, the same way. This Detroit has the same type of fabric and aesthetics. It's just Baltimore, man. When you look at a TV show like The Wire, that's what you get when you actually go there and see that place and see that city. It's the same feel. When I watched The Wire, first of all, I fucking loved it. It's probably tied for my favorite show of all time. I mean, I like I like that. I like that. Yeah, it's incredible. But when I watched it, I was like, it feels like they must have got this really accurately. When you watched it, did you feel like, oh, my God, they did it like that's what it was? Well, it came in waves because the first wave was like, forget whether it's right and exact. They shooting a show about my neighborhood, about my block, about my city. We riding and dying with this. You know, oh, it, yeah, it, it, yeah. Was, it, it was that. And then it, as it started making its way, it's like, you got to put the right people in there. You got to put some locals in there. You got to make it feel authentic. But I think the writing behind The Wire is what really made it authentic because it was a real actual factual case. Those names that's in The Wire are real names. Now, they mixed and matched the name to person a little bit. Yeah. But being a Baltimorean and coming from there and understanding that story, when I watch it, I know the real names that go with the faces, right? So it's like, ah, oh, that's not, you know, <laughs> he's supposed to be him. He's supposed to be him. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. that was my only rebuttal about that. I got a hunch Stringer Bell wasn't half as handsome as Idris Elba. <laughs> and I bet Omar wasn't as charismatic as Michael K. Williams. So Omar, like I, me personally, like we would see every day the real Omar. Omar, like, <laughs> Omar coming. And it was that same energy, that same behavior. Like when you see him, you just know, go in the house or get the fuck away or stay out of his way. Right. You laugh about it. It's like, oh, that's him. Oh, that's him. And it's, you know, oh, look who's coming around the block. And you laugh about it. But now that I'm older and I can have time to reflect back on those times, it's like, what was I doing? Like, why was I even out there? What was I trying to do? Let's get into that. Because the other thing I thought <laughs> when I was reading your shit was, I got to be honest, it took me becoming an adult in like moving to LA and making friends that weren't from where I'm from. So I don't have your story at all, but I have the white trash version. So like, Mobile homes, fucking alcoholism, just violence nonstop, parents beating each other, always carnage. Any given day you were hanging out in Row Lake neighborhood, someone's walking down the street bloody because something happened in the house. And by the way, no clue that that's not how everybody was growing up. It's not until I got here I started learning about other people's backgrounds and their families and this and that where I was like, oh, all that stuff I thought was kind of normal, not so normal. But you got to leave there almost to recognize that, don't you? And the thing I can relate to is like being terrified of the violence and super drawn to it and trying to establish my own place in this hierarchy of violence. Mm. Like it bound me and my friends together because we were all scared together and together we felt safer. Like there's all these things that are also really cool about it or that I loved about it. Yeah, for me, I was a product of my environment and I really saw nothing wrong with it. Right. Like, I tell this story to people all the time. Like, I struggle, my friends struggle, my neighbors struggle, people in the neighborhood struggle. Everybody was dealing with the same shit, not knowing what to eat. We got to share food, go knock on the door next door. Can I get a couple slices of bread? Can I get some sugar? Can I get some salt? Can I borrow a cup of rice? Whatever it was, 
we all was dealing with the same thing. So we relied on each other, which brought the community together because we knew we had each other back. If I needed something, I knew I could come to you and vice versa. And the community started to grow with that. I think that's why to this day, I always like to go back to my community because I get the sense of why me? How the hell did I make it out of this shit? Because this was very, very difficult. But I also get a sense of like survivor's remorse too. Like I'm out, but I wonder what they thinking about me. Should I leave them? Are they ready to go with me? Uh, are they on the same page with me? You start dealing with all of that stuff. And the minute that you start second guessing and doubting a lot of things, a lot of shit get messed up. So I try to get rid of kind of that survivor's remorse. But I also keep a lot, a lot of me tapped into those areas and those neighborhoods and those people because even though I'm in the corporate world and I'm doing my thing and I'm, I'm in a whole nother planet and away from that, I still need that. Like, that fuels me. That keeps me going. That keeps me motivated knowing that that's where I came from. Okay, I'm going to run a hypothetical by you. So this is something my wife can't relate to, but I got a hunch you would have been having a good time too. So I'm in 7-Eleven the other day in Hollywood and a dude comes in in just boxer shorts and he's screaming that he wants some ketchup. You assholes will never give me ketchup. And shit's starting to <laughs> come to a boil, right? And they got the two guys behind the counter that they're going to confront this dude by themselves. And I'm kind of watching like, oh, am I going to get involved at some point if the dude in boxers gets the upper hand against these two dudes that work at 7-Eleven that I like? Anyways, my wife sees a dude come out of the 7-Eleven with boxer shorts on and he's screaming asshole. And then I come out and I have this big shitty and grin smile on my face and I get in the car. She goes, what happened? I go, oh my God, it was so wonderful. This guy's screaming, you fucking assholes, just give me ketchup. And these guys are saying, we're going to shove this broom up here. And I'm just elated, like I'm awake. And I thought to myself, yeah, I enjoy those situations. <laughs> just chaos. Chaos, just because I like it feels familiar. Like, oh, what's going to happen? Who are we going to be laughing at in a couple hours? It's very familiar. When those things happen, it might not happen for so long in your life, being where we at in our lives right now. We might not see a lot of that. But when we do, that's why you felt the way you felt, because it took you back to that moment where you were seeing that every day. You was very familiar with those environments and those type of people and how those things transform. So I understand it. It's things that I see now just like. Like, I know what's going to happen. I know how it's going to go down. Yes. Like, I know what's going to be said. I know who's going to come back later. Like, I, these are things <laughs> that just my instincts from being in that and understanding that world, my instincts put me right back to that. Yes. Like, yeah, the ability to predict almost exactly what's going to happen, I guess, is part of the thrill of it. And then also just... You know, when you're a kid and all that stuff's happening, it's terrifying, but there's adrenaline. And then I think that's the thing I miss. It's like, oh, shit, like something real is going to happen. At the end of this whole encounter, there's going to be a story. Someone's going to be a legend. Someone's going to be the fool. Like, it's all kind of just playing out in front of you. And, yeah, I guess you can kind of get used to that adrenaline and it can be exciting. And then you recognize, like, oh, it's also you know, it comes with all this terrible stuff. I don't know what your stuff is, but I just have reactions to things where I have to recognize like, oh yeah, yeah, because I'm still acting like I live there and I don't. <laughs> like along being in those environments, it was also a lot of good shit that came out of that too, right? How to survive. Like when you people hear survival, it's always like a bad thing. Or I had to really survive and struggle to get, no. When, when you learn how to survive in those type of environments, 
the world become easy to navigate because there's nothing in the world that you're going to see that can compare. Those things don't happen in, in other places unless it's those type of environments. So the funny thing is I look back and I'm like, I was 12, 11, 13, like dealing with this shit. So I look at 13 year olds today who may be in similar situations that I was in back then. And I'll be trying to figure out what to say to them or how to say it. But it's like, no, you got to be direct. You got to be straight up. You got to be honest with these kids today because that's what they want. They're not going to tell you that's what they want, but that's really what they want because that's the code that they live by. They live by truth and honesty and loyalty, loyalty, and you riding with me or not. Am I my brother's keeper? That's the goal. That's the code today. And it's always been the code. Yeah, and you're asking these kids, again, like, I have no idea what advice I'd give myself as a kid because I wouldn't have listened. I would have been like, listen, somebody, yeah. listen, I don't want to hear that shit, man. Yeah, hey, <laughs> hey, old dude, go hang out with your age or something. You're asking the kids to make a sacrifice today that'll give them a reward, but it'll give them a reward in a world they don't know. So, like, you're basically going, like, this will be so great. And you're like, that world doesn't exist. So I know what the hierarchy of statuses in my world. And I just want that status. That's all any of us want. So you're asking me to like buy into a whole different set of values and status. And it's a tough sell, I think. Well, because those values don't go along with the values that you're comfortable with and you're used to. The street values and those values are, I would say those are some of the most strongest values that any person can have. When you really think about the values of what it takes to be in the streets. Mm. And I wasn't in the streets as far as hustling and selling. I didn't do that. But I was in the streets. That makes sense. I learned how to survive. I learned what was right and what was wrong. I learned what path that I had to take. And I learned how to take that road down. And it was a lot of bumps and bruises and ups and downs. But I learned how to get on that path, stay on that path. And for the most part, like... My values and my code from living in that, it makes my life a lot easier when I'm dealing with business transactions and I'm talking to people and I'm dealing with, I'm in these meetings. Like I can sit there and, and, and hold those conversations knowing that at the core of myself, these are my values. If you loyal to me, I'll be loyal to you, right? Yeah. I'll let you shoot yourself in the foot. I don't judge anybody. You do what you want to do, say what you want to say. I'm my own person. I'm secure with who I am as a man. And you do what you do until you start messing with me. That's how I operate. That's how I move. And I give everybody a chance. And I'm sure my team is probably like, uh, yeah, don't give everybody a chance. But <laughs> I, I give, you know, I, I like to give everybody an opportunity to show me what they're about. And your true colors will come out. I always yeah. say people's true colors will come out in the times where you least expect it. Stay tuned for more armchair expert, if you dare. We are supported by Taco Bell. Ooh. Oh, man. We often do two recordings a day, and we have this little nice lunch break that we enjoy, and we're always craving something really yummy. Yes, yeah, something fresh, something high quality, something like the all-new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell, which is mm. exactly that. Mm. It's so yummy. It has slow roasted chicken, the pico, that purple cabbage, and an avocado verde salsa sauce. Oh, delicious. 
outrageous. The new Cantina Chicken Tacos, Burrito, and Quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken Menu at Taco Bell now. Okay, now the other thing that I feel like maybe we have some overlap is, so my dad didn't die, but he left at three. Your dad died at two. I had three stepdads in rapid succession. I liked the last one when I was older. He was great. He died recently, but did not enjoy the first two at all, nor do I think they enjoyed me. And did you have stepdads or a stepdad? I had a stepdad, definitely had a stepdad. How was that relationship? A stepdad, stepson relationship. It was <laughs> well, no, because you hear about dudes that are like, no, my stepdad's no, my no. real dad. I, I wouldn't saying, call. No, no, no. It's, I, was on, I was on the opposite side of that. I was yeah, on yeah, the opposite yeah. side of that. He was an older cat, right? So he was a southern cat who was very blue-collar, worked hard. Nobody did nothing for him. Wouldn't let nobody give him nothing. No handouts. Worked to his hands and feet bleed. Like, he was that. I like to describe him as James Evans' father on Good Times. Like, it was like, <laughs> you know, that was him. So I respected him for that, knowing that no matter what, he was getting up every day, putting his hard hat on, putting his work belt on, getting his tools, going to work. I respected that. I didn't respect the fact that, for one, he used to always let it be known that I'm not his. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's where it started going left at. So as a young kid... I got to respect that. Like, I got to eat that almost because if my mother is saying it's right, then it's right. I don't got to listen to him, but if my mother telling me, you better be respectful, then I'm going to be respectful. Until I get older. Now, when I start getting 13 and 14 and 15, I'm getting into high school, it's a different story now because I'm able to elaborate on a lot of my feelings at that point in time. So it's, nah, fuck that. You're not my father. Like, yeah. start getting rebellious. At that point, start causing rift between me and him, me and my mom. I felt like she was taking his side. So it was a lot of that, man. And me and him didn't have the greatest relationship. Yeah, I loved yeah. him. I, yeah. I, I loved him to death. I would never let nobody do anything to him. But we yeah. didn't have the greatest of relationships. I don't know. Maybe it was because I wasn't his. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wasn't his or how I came about. Like, I don't know what the fuck was his issue with me. But yeah. I respected him to the point where... You was a man of my household. Well, I can guess. Here's some hardworking dude, as you just described him, putting in the hours, not looking to be a star. He's got this stepson who plays basketball all day long. And he, this motherfucker thinks he's going to the NBA. He thinks he's hot shit. He thinks he's No, but see, not to cut you off, that wasn't never... That wasn't the, the thing. That never was the thing for me. Like, NBA never was a dream for, of mine. Oh. So nobody in the house never heard me say, I'm going to make it to the NBA or I want to make it to the NBA. Oh, no kidding. It was just more like my mother gave him the power to look over me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like she vouched for it. Even when I got mad and I used to come to her, she would still vouch for him. So that gave him the power to like, I'm the man of this house. Yeah. That was a thing that I didn't like. I think it's hard enough to give that up to your biological dad. I think kids have a hard enough time just following their real father. So, yeah, then I think it's 20 times harder when you're like, 
a lot of things came from that. A lot of stresses came from that. A lot of just being rebellious and having this like fuck you attitude. Like I don't care what nobody say. I don't care what you say. You're not my father. Like you at a stage where you start hitting this puberty, you start feeling stronger, your voice start getting cracking and getting yeah, deeper. Yeah. Yeah. And you just feel like, bro, you ain't gonna keep talking to me like that. <laughs> right, 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 right. Testosterone right. enters yeah, the picture. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So when you moved to Baltimore at eight, I just need to throw this out here because it's so funny that you decided like Carmelo's not a tough name. <laughs> and so everyone's gonna know me as Tyrone Johnson, which <laughs> the Tyrone I'm with, but the, the Johnson, <laughs> I don't Johnson feel I mean that's that could be said as a dick. <laughs> I was really I, that's a fact. That is a fact. But I'm in third grade, I'm coming from New York. Like nobody knows who the hell I am. They just know a New York kid, New York family just moved on the block. Yeah. Right? So I come the summer of ninety-two. And school starts in September. So I have two months to kind of like meet some people and hang out. And mind you, I'm eight, nine years old at, at this point. <laughs> so when I, get, when I get to third grade, first day of school, it's just like you got to write your name on a, little, on a white index card. And that whole summer, people was butchering my name. Like it was mm. just like. Caramello and yeah, yeah. you know Camello and like it was just like they was butchering my name. Hi, can I pause you for one second? Yes. My name's Dax. No one ever heard that name. There. What the fuck is a Dax? Yeah, but what? Dax is cool. That's it's three letters. No, no, Dax no. Is, it's three no, letters. Carmelo, so. It is cool now, just like Carmelo's cool now. It was not cool in 1986 Dax, on the playground. Dax is three letters. You know, that's <laughs> like a you could you could say that's a nickname, Dax. No, every dude was like, oh, is that short for Dexter, Poindexter? And I'm like, oh, come on, man. No, it's an A. Carmelo wasn't short for anything. Right? <laughs> it's short for Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> now. <laughs> it was like, yo, what is that? Like, it wasn't no nothing bad towards it. It was just sure. like, I didn't like people fucking my name up at that point in time. So, right. Sure. So the only people who didn't know my name was the teachers. <laughs> like the kids, the, the students knew my name but around the neighborhood, but the teachers didn't know. So I write the name Tyrone and I'm looking around. I don't, I'm like, what last name I'm going to go with? And because you're like, I'm going soup to nuts, not just the first name. I want a whole new. I got to go all the way. I have to go all the way. So I see the textbook and it's like Johnson is something textbooks or something like that. And I'm just like Tyrone Johnson like that. I just wrote it down. I didn't think it would go that far, the way that it went. <laughs> okay, so I just thought that was hysterical and pretty adorable that an eight-year-old was like, yeah, Tyrone Johnson. Nobody's fucking with Tyrone Johnson. <laughs> well, no one is. No one is. <laughs> <laughs> Grown-ass man wouldn't fuck with Tyrone Johnson. I really like your sweatsuit. I like his whole thing. When he first sits down, he's good. I know this is his charm. He looks a little bit grumpy. And then he smiles, and you're like, oh, this motherfucker's got a million-dollar smile. Yeah, Look at that. It's oh, my true, God. See, I see your molars when you smile, dude. It's good. I'm a happy, I'm a happy person. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, this, I yeah, he's a fox. Okay, so 13, you now recognize, oh, you're starting to deal with depression, but I can't imagine at 13, did you have that awareness? Like, I'm depressed? Hell no, not at all. You just know you have your moments of just, like, you sad and just when you're trying to figure it out, you just feel stuck. Yeah. You know, you just, you don't want to go out the house. You just want to stay in the house. You want to listen to music. Don't cut no TV on. Just be in the dark. Just. Yeah. Depression. Yeah. I mean, I know that now. Right. Right. 
back then when you're 13 and 14, your friends see that, like, man, get the fuck up. What you, come on, man, we're going outside. Like, yeah. You don't have no time to deal with that. And no one knows how to deal with it or how to even bring it up. Like, I didn't know how to bring it up because I didn't know what I was dealing with. I just knew this is the norm. This is what happens. This is part of being in this environment. Yeah. I didn't realize this till recently. Someone brought it up. Someone said to me, oh, all my friends growing up, every kid was from a divorced house. And I, I went through my list of all my friends. And yeah, so I was attracted to other kids that were going through, I guess, what I was. Or I could relate to them in some way. Even to this day, my circle is the same guys. Since I was eight, nine, you're 10 years old. And to your point, we all gravitated towards each other because we all had the same story. Single parent house, whether it was your mother raising you or your father raising you yeah. or your grandmother raising you or your auntie raising you. Like somebody was raising you singly and yeah. nobody around me had both of their parents in the house. Like no one. What siblings do you have? Do you have older brothers or sisters? So I have two brothers, two brothers, one sister on my mom's side. My sister passed. Today is actually her birthday, actually. Mm-hmm. You're kidding me. Yeah, it's crazy that I'm, I'm doing this. I ain't put it two and two together. Then I have four sisters on my dad's side. Okay. My dad was a Puerto Rican, so he was the Rolling Stone of the. Of the <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Wherever he laid his hat, he called home. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> the brothers were they older than you? I'm the youngest out of nine. God wow. damn. Okay, because I was gonna say another thing. I really looked to my friends for, again, this is all shit I know now. I didn't know it then, but what I really was looking for from them was I wanted some male approval, and I just wondered, were you looking for your clues on how to be a man from your friends? No, I mean, it was just like, I knew they held me down, I hold them down, and and we go, we support each other through thick and thin. Like, we gonna fight, we gonna fuss, we gonna argue, but at the end of the day, we gonna do what we gotta do to support one another. So I wasn't looking for approval from them. When I got it, though, it was an extra pump and extra validation. Yeah, when your dudes look up to you as a kid, you're like those moments where they're like, oh, shit, he did that. That to me is that was everything. I didn't get that till later. When you started slamming on dudes? Yeah, it's just like, (laughs) you know, yo, man, when you was going back in this, when you was here, like you start hearing those stories which is part of the reason why I really wanted to start writing the book, because when you start hearing stories from other people and experiences from their perspective, it checks your perspective. Like, damn, was I, was I really going through this for real? Like, or is that story right, what I was telling? So I had to really go through, go through that process to kind of fact check a lot of the things that, that I was talking about. Okay, so the part I wanted to explore a little bit was you went to this private school for three years, and then in the, your senior year prior to the school year starting, someone at the school, some faculty was like, so you're going to spend your summer scrubbing the floors of this place, <laughs> getting it all tidy. First of all, I didn't even think what they was going to have me doing was legal. I doubt it is. I didn't even think you can give somebody detention in the summertime. Like, I never even, I never heard of that shit before. So I went to a Catholic school by the name of Towson Catholic. It's closed now. Because you didn't clean the floors. The <laughs> floors got so fucked up. I didn't clean the desk and I didn't fix the books. <laughs> but I'm there, and as I'm starting to grow from a basketball standpoint and the, the notoriety starts to grow, I think it was too much for the school. 
right? I think it was too much for the archdiocese. Like it was just, it was too much cameras and in the school and media calling, wanting to speak. And I wasn't big on the media and things like that. I would like deny it and decline it. But it was just there. They was outside of school every day and playing the games with all the media and everybody's coming. So, yeah, on one hand, it was great. It was positive for the school and us to represent that. But I think it was because of where I was coming from, right? It was like I wasn't clean cut in the school. Was it a mostly white school, I can assume? It was a mostly white school, and most of the black people was on a boys' and girls' basketball team. And that's who you saw every day. That's who you was hanging around. So, again, it, it was like hierarchy. Like, I come from the bottom. I want to have to get to school every day on the subway and the buses, and I'm busting my ass trying to get here. So work with me if I'm 30 seconds late or I'm a minute late. Like, just work with me. You got to understand that. I'm not making no excuses of why I wasn't on time. But what I'm trying to say is one minute, two minutes, knowing my situation, knowing where I come from, my mother ain't dropping me off at school. You know, I don't yeah. have nobody to do that. I got to rely on public transportation to get here on time. What if the buses is late? What if it's snowing and like everything is off? You got a detour. You don't know what's going to what happen. So a lot of that stuff started to build up and detention started coming and they started threatening games and they started threatening me. And then they kicked me out because I wouldn't come back in the summertime to scrub the tables. Okay, so I have three takes on this. Okay, number one, if I'm being generous to them, they decided, oh, we got to teach this kid character. We got to teach this kid humility. He's getting all this attention. We got to try to keep this kid humble. Without telling me. Of course, of course, because <laughs> yeah. you're so stupid. Their guidance they're going to give you, they got to trick you into getting. So Absolutely, yes. which goes back to where you're from, right? Yeah. Where you're yeah. from. Mm -hmm. you're, yeah, right. you're so a piece ahead. of shit and right. you're a loser and we're going to teach right. you how to be a good person. Right. Number two, I would say what's really going on is they are benefiting from you. So they are succeeding as a team. They're getting their credentials on your back and they hate that they resent you for that they fucking hate that everything they got's riding on this kid and they resent you and i think there's this crazy dynamic that exists where they do invite these black players in from the inner city they're like oh we're giving you the world look at this education you're getting you should be so fucking grateful you should be asking us how to improve as a human being all the time but no we're gonna have to show you i think it's that well, it could be. That's one explanation. Yeah, it could be. But I also know that it was a lot that came into play with that, right? The fact that it was a Catholic school. It's super clean cut. The fact that I challenged that. Like mm -hmm. I, I challenged the status quo. And, and I used to question a lot of things that I was being taught or they was teaching us. What they give you in Catholic school, dealing with Catholicism, that's what you're going with. You, you can't challenge that. Catholicism works best when people don't ask any questions. <laughs> so like, that's why they had the class at 8 o'clock in the morning, because they wanted you to be quiet. So, <laughs> when you challenge that, you're made out to be an outcast. You're made out to be somebody who's just being disrespectful to the actual religion, right? Yeah. And it wasn't me being disrespectful. It was just my mom's was a deaconess in the Baptist church. So I'm getting lessons from her on one hand, then I'm coming here and it's something totally different. 
And it's like, I'm confused. I know my mother ain't gonna lie to me. Yeah, you yeah, understand? Yeah. So I started asking questions. I started challenging the status quo. I started challenging the textbooks. When you gotta write the essays and just from your perspective, a lot of minds was questions. On a test, if it was a question to write an essay or, or something I had to do, I'm asking these questions. Why this and why that? And what? who said this and who make like, they hated that. Yeah, but can I hit you with a theory real quick? Sure. I will not do anything unless I understand it and I can get on board with it. But I now recognize it's because, like, I was molested as a kid. I had all this violence. I know people have ulterior motives. I learned the hard way. And I know a lot of people aren't looking out for my best interests. So I do some fucking exploration. I ask a few more questions. I need to know what everyone's getting out of everything before I feel comfortable. Right. So you're coming from a world where your survival, I'm guessing, depends on you asking some questions. Is this dude trustworthy? Should I listen to this? Should I follow these guys there? Like, you're in that mode for survival. It all comes back full circle. Because yeah. I'm coming from one environment and I'm going to a totally different environment. And I'm trying to take my morals and my code and my values from this environment and bring yeah. them which causes me to start questioning a lot of things, start questioning a lot of people. Like you said, people motives. I can't tell you to this day what was the vice principal motive towards me. And I shouldn't have to think about that. As yeah. a student, y'all shouldn't have to come to school like, man, as soon as I walk in the door, man, he gonna say something to me. I'm rushing to the bathroom to make sure my tie is right. You're making yeah. sure my hair's padded down, making sure I got the right shoes on, making sure my belt is proper. That's a lot when you got to go to school. School's supposed to be fun. You're supposed to come learn, be around friends and go into class and... Shoot the shit with some ladies. Start shooting the shit and you start figuring out. You start figuring out things about yourself. It shouldn't be stressful with me coming to school every day and after first period, every single day, Carmelo Anthony, please come to the vice principal office. Yeah. I got tired of hearing that fucking name, to be honest with you. Well, hence you trying to make it Tyrone. <laughs> you just got played out on that intercom. That seed was planted in me since the third grade. Okay, now it's time for like some personal responsibility. So if I were you and I know when someone's got a hustle that involves me, I would have entered that situation with a little chip on my shoulder going, we all know why I'm here. You're using me for this, which is cool because I'm going to use you for that. But I'm on to you. <laughs> so I personally would have kind of entered with a little chip on my shoulder. I know why I was there. I was there for basketball reasons. I wasn't there to learn about religion. I knew I had to do my schoolwork in order for me to play, but I was there for basketball. So this is all new to me, learning about theology and religion. And But you're not learning about it. It's pounded on you. Yeah. You're not engaging with it. It's just being downloaded to you. It's just being downloaded. And it's like, take this. And it's just, ever since those moments, it was just like, I don't know if this is for me. Like, I got too many questions. If I got this many questions about something, it ain't for me. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. at that moment, that's when I started to, like, do my own research. Like, I started observing more and listening and watching and reading because I just couldn't deal with it. I had my own shit going on, going back home, not knowing what was going to happen, looking over my shoulder every single day, my own struggles to going to school thinking that this was my outlet because of basketball, and it wasn't an outlet. One thing from earlier in the conversation, it just made me curious, have you watched the Michael Vick 30 for 30? Absolutely. 
Oh, I love that one so much. One of the best ones. Yeah, and I could feel that moment where he's taking his boys with him on the ride because he's a good dude. And then the dudes just aren't elevating with him to where he's going. That was the survivor's remorse. Yes, yes. And then the friction of like, oh, you've changed. No, I haven't. That whole thing just really hit home to me. That made me think of it. You saw it. That's good. I didn't really have a question other than did you see it? Did you like it? Did you relate it? I'll do it. Yeah, I, I mean, I relate it because you come from those environments. And the minute that you step foot into another environment that looked down upon that environment, you're not supposed to look back. You're supposed to leave them where they at. Yeah. You're supposed yeah. to go. You're supposed to, you know, you you made it. Get out of there. Don't go back. But in all actuality, it's reversed. I think it's a double whammy because also your boys from home are almost waiting for you to change. Or at least in my experience, they're looking for it. In my experience, personally, I, and I only can speak on things that I've been through, my crew, we grew together. Like, we all had the same issues, you know? So it was like, I wanted to see them succeed more than they wanted to see themselves succeed. Right. So it would be to them, yo, he changing, or he this and he that, but that wasn't really the case. I was just bringing you along. We gonna figure it out because we always figure this out. Yeah. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. What made me think of 30 for 30 is I, I think it was the Allen Iverson one I watched where he kind of got protected by his neighborhood. Like people were like, don't let him get in the mix. I was going to ask if you had any of that. We're like, did anyone look out for you? It's the same thing. And, and again, things are different now. The communities are not protecting their people anymore. That's from there. So I think then elderly people, right? Neighbors, the older women on the block, your mom could leave you outside all day long, knowing that the neighbors and the grandmothers of the block was going to look after you. You know they was going to snitch on you if you did something bad, <laughs> but you know you had somebody looking after you. If your mother tell them he got to be in the house by 10 o'clock, then 9.58 come, they're calling you, they letting you know, Melo, it's time to get in the house. It's time to go in the house. So we had that protection. I had that protection from just friends in my neighborhood, the older guys, the older women, aunts, uncles, just family, they knew I was a ball player. They saw something to me before I did. I didn't believe it. They saw it. So I assume that's why they was, Melo, get your ass in the house. You better not miss school. You better not cut class. You better go here. That was the support I had. It makes me think of, we interviewed Chris Bosch, and he was saying that his grandma lived like across the street and two houses down. So. His dad made him wear a shirt and tie to school, and he'd get on the bus and take it off. But his grandma would see him by the time <laughs> the bus got away from her house, and she'd call. He took his shit off. He's yeah. in a T-shirt. <laughs> That's how it was. That was their way of protecting you. The last school you went to for your senior year, that was in Virginia. You were then at boarding school, yeah? Yeah, that was Oak Hill. It was in Mouth of Wilson, Virginia. I don't know where the hell that at. I don't know if you know what that's at. I don't, I, I don't know if you heard of that shit, but Mouth of Wilson, Virginia, is like down there in Virginia, but it's like Kentucky, Tennessee, Carolina, West Virginia. You're in the tip of all of that shit around you. So 
I could be in class and be in Tennessee. I could be in the basketball, <laughs> I could be on the basketball court and my phone would say Kentucky. Like, it, you know, I, could be, I could be at lunch and it would be North Carolina or Virginia. Right. You, you just don't know. My point is saying all of that is that's the mouth of Wilson, Virginia right there. Oh, so then is that by the Blue Ridge Mountains? Yes. Oh, my God, is that beautiful there. I wish I'd have known that back then because I'd have went over there a couple of times. But I was in and out. Let me just say, A, what an incredible story. I'm so glad you're telling it because people want to talk to you about basketball. You're perfect for this show because I don't ever want to talk to anybody about the thing they do. <laughs> Good, because I don't like talking about basketball anyway. <laughs> that was so fucking boring. Yeah. You're great we already at, you're, know you're yeah, great yeah, at Yeah, you're basketball. great at basketball. Yeah. Cool. But one thing you point out in the book, which I just, it put it in perspective. There are 541,000 high school basketball players. Yes. 541,000. Then there's 30,000 kids in college playing. Then yes. you got the whole world. Fuck that. We won't even try to put a number on that. And there's 453 players in, in, the, in the league. Wow. And 60 players get drafted every year. Out of 513,000? And the cool thing he points Jesus. out is you would think that's the miracle of his life. Yeah. And it's not. No. The miracles that he made it through that yeah. childhood. That's the one in 10 million. That's profound. Yeah, I like that a lot. I'm going to close on something you're not going to like, but boy, did it make me and Aaron laugh. We've been laughing about this for the last 15 minutes. So I watch your announcement for your book on your Instagram, and it's so heartfelt. It's beautiful. We know this book is about coming of age and trauma and the real story behind the basketball legend. The first comment I read is... Okay. <laughs> I want that long dick in my mouth, Daddy. <laughs> Five eggplants, three squirts, <laughs> three times, and ten black hearts. This is from at Lively underscore Tracy. <laughs> Lively Tracy, God fucking bless you, and please be a, be on my Instagram. No, no, no one has ever away. written that on my Instagram. <laughs> that might, I think that was a bot. That was a bot. Yeah. That was a no, bot. no, no, no. Lively Tracy is real. Don't break it's his real. heart. In Do her, not break his it, heart. It, he it, wants it, to believe in Lively Tracy. her response to your heartfelt book coming out is, I want that long dick in my mouth, Daddy. <laughs> and you know what made me happy, Carmelo? It makes me happy to know that there's some women out there that are as big of pieces of shit as me and my male <laughs> friends. So I, I found it very, like, somehow life-affirming and inspirational. I didn't see it, but I would say that was a bot. No, at Lively is as real as it gets. <laughs> at Lively underscore Tracy is the real deal, Carmelo. She's no bot, okay? Please hit up Dex. <laughs> <laughs> a bot doesn't know to write that. A bot's like, I'm lonely. What are you doing? Those are on my page. Those are bots. I want that long dick in my mouth, Daddy. That's a human being with some needs. Anyways, right, we'll I just I wanted you to know that was on your comment section. It made my day. Hopefully, it'll make yours. The comments is not for me. I, t I, don't, I don't look at them. <laughs> Yeah, it's better not. Give to. me your sign and information. I'm just going to, I'm going to heart it just so she feels encouraged. <laughs> Let's just see what this blossoms oh. into. Carmelo, you're a fucking great dude. Super fun talking to you. The smile is my goodness. We got to have you back for more. Yeah, yeah, we, didn't we have want more time. so we can talk about basketball. And I need to find out <laughs> how I can get that sweatsuit. Monica needs that sweatsuit. What size? E extra small. <laughs> extra small. <laughs> I keep uh -oh. that in mind. But make sure there's some room in the top. Wink, wink, Carmelo. 
Full molars on that yeah, one. Yeah, you did. Uh, From both of us. All right, my man. I hope I run into you in real life. Good luck with the book. Oh, in the name of the book, I should have said that 20 more times, but I will in the intro. But Where Tomorrows Aren't Promised. Awesome name. Where Tomorrows Aren't Promised. Also, you have a podcast, What's in Your Glass. Yes. People can listen to that everywhere you listen to podcasts. So check out What's in Your Glass and also get Where Tomorrows Aren't Promised. Like I said, I read a good chunk of it, and it's just beautifully written and so authentic and real. And for me, I just related a lot. And it follows, right? It's your story up until the day you're drafted. Yeah, because, again, the concept behind it was I've never dreamt about being an NBA and playing an NBA. So my story is from May 29th, 1984, the day I was born, to I think it was June 26th, 27th of 2003. The moment that I shook David Stern hand, that's when the story goes off. Mm. I did that intentionally because I just felt like that was a story that everybody needed to know. People needed yeah. to know that story. And it wasn't so much of everything that I went through. It was just the mindset behind it and how walking up to David Stern and shaking his hand and hearing your name being called, I made it at that point. You can take everything away from me. I've made it at that point. So. After that, I'm playing with the church's money at, at that point. So <laughs> I made it. So I just really wanted to tell the story. Like, I call it the in-between game, if it's a reference to basketball. Well, what I like about that is what's completely unrelatable is you being in the NBA. I don't know. I can't relate to that at all. I can't relate to how good you look in this sweatsuit. <laughs> but I can relate to the other shit, and I think a lot of people can. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So everyone should check that out again. Where tomorrows aren't promised. Get it, read it, enjoy it. Thank you so much, Thank you. Tyrone Johnson. It's been a blast. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll respect you and call you Tyrone from now on. I know if you call me that, I know who it is. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right Bye. Thanks, Monica. Thank you. And now my favorite part of the show, the fact check with my soulmate, Monica Padman. I guess it was already obvious in the interview itself but if anyone didn't put it together this of course is the guest that caused your clothes to explode that's right oh my god and i can see why i wonder if it is obvious listening i mean i'm well, sure people put two and two together don't i bring up the fact that your boobs are out at the end no no i do no we were done that? yeah i'm done editing it oh we were done but recording. he was still there no no i think it was after he got off it was i was telling him that he should hook up with you and then i said I mean, you dropped a button. That all happened in front of him. <laughs> we, buddy, we, we, we okay. have audio Auto, evidence. Auto, audio evidence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. How can my memory be so wrong? What, what happened at the end when I was asking him if he wanted to make oh, love this, to you? No, you didn't ask him that at all. You said, I said, I need to get that sweatsuit. And he said, what size? Uh -huh. And then I said, extra small. And he said, okay, extra small. And then you said... But leave room in the top. Okay. Yeah, and then All everyone right. laughed. Okay. Um, and that was that. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I knew your boobs were a topic with him. They came and he up. Laughed. Yeah. Yeah, they came up. Well, they stay up, really, for now. Who? I think it was Sassy. Sassy was saying she didn't like her boobs or something, and I said, well, "Whose boobs do you want?" And she's like, "Well, I don't really know who has great boobs." Mm. And I said, what about Monica's? Mm. She said, oh, Monica has great boobs? And I said, 
have you not listened to the podcast? That's all we talk about. And then so she went on Instagram and she did a lot of um, zooming in. Oh, like, my God. Uh, okay. On you and bathing suits and stuff. Okay. And she concluded, absolutely, that okay. would be ideal. I feel uh, violated a little. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it feels this, good. This goes into like the difference between <laughs> boy. Well, I'm not going to say boys and girls. You and I, for sure. I would love that. The notion that you'd have a, a dude that's like, I want shoulders. And you're like, what about Dax's? And then he looked at me and goes, oh, my God, those are the ones I want. That, right. to me, would be so positive. Sure. I'm not saying it's not positive. It's just a little uncomfortable thinking about someone zooming in on my boobs. Just oh, when you post on Instagram, do you not assume that that'll happen? Um, no. I do because... I know if I post a picture of me in the gym, many people will just circle in on the fact that there's a box of tissues in the background. Mm. Like people are zooming in and they're looking at the full environment and they're like, why do you have so many tissues in the gym? Okay. And then I think about responding, I have a lot of allergies and my nose runs a lot, but then I don't do that. And then I guess they think in my absence of an explanation, it means I'm masturbating in the gym. Oh, Okay. That's what the joke is about. Why do you have so many tissues in your gym? Got it. Got it. And then I just let them, I guess, believe that. Okay. But you don't think people are going to zoom in when you... Well, I don't... I'm just not thinking. I guess maybe they are, but I'm not thinking... I never thought about it. It's that. not on your radar. No. Do you zoom in on people? On Instagram? How do you even zoom in on Instagram? You, you have just to screenshot it? No. You just put your fingers on the picture and then spread it out and it zooms in. E on Instagram? You yes. Can? Let me try. Hold on. Oh, yeah. It worked. That's the first time you've zoomed in on Instagram? Yeah, I've never done that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Really? <laughs> yeah. You take it all at face value. You're like, that's what I'm supposed to be seeing. I, I do. I'm not very observant, as you know. Yeah. Wow, no zooming. This is a huge revelation. You think you know someone so well, and then to find out you didn't know you could zoom. On Instagram, I mean, I, I know you can zoom in on a picture, mm -hmm. and I've done that, but I just didn't do I don't know. <laughs> You don't do that. What's the percentage of people do you think who zoom in? 90? 80, 90. Rob, do you, you zoom? zoom you zoom in? I, I know you can. It's not something I often do. Okay. But you do it. I've done it You've, before. Yes. Okay. How often do you zoom in, Dax, on like a, um, let's say, how many out of how many pictures do you zoom? Well, can we define it even more specifically? Like, not how many do I zoom in of the photos I'm scrolling through. I don't think that would be a good metric, but okay. of the pictures I'm interested in and I actually open up and look at or scroll through the, the carousel, mm -hmm. of those, at least 60% of the time I'm zooming in on something I want to see a little clearer in the photo. Okay. I'm curious to see, it'll be a great update to see how it, you like it because you're going to try it now a little bit probably. Maybe. We'll see if it changes your experience on Instagram at all. I should do it because I have terrible eyes. Well, that, that's exactly why I thought you'd be zooming a yeah. ton, to be honest. Yeah. Mm. Okay. <laughs> this might change everything. <laughs> uh, how do you like my nails? I got my nails done. Oh, yeah. Let me see because they're really long. Um, Can you tell? Yeah. 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 Uh, hold them like that so I can see the length. Yeah, they're they're long. They're so long. <laughs> 
<laughs> they're really, okay, really you, long. You don't like them. That's okay. You don't have to like them. Okay. Yeah. I would rather not lie to you. Yeah, don't lie. I don't dislike them, but I don't like them. To me, it looks like you're lazy and you don't work. Like I associate the impractical. <laughs> yeah, that's what it triggers for me. That's a horrible. Well, where I grew up, a lot of people had nails that were like a foot long and they couldn't fucking do anything. They'd be like a receptionist and they're trying to um, put a call through and then they're trying to dial the numbers. And the whole thing is just a big inconvenience. So you'd be at the doctor's office and like, it's slowing everything down, these enormous nails. You're, you weren't designed to have five-inch nails. Hmm. What do you think about that? The, the truth is, yes, it's extremely hard to do anything with these nails. <laughs> uh-huh. I have had a very hard time in the last 24 hours, but I look great, so I'm happy. Mm-hmm. But I think it's very um, mm, offensive to assume someone's lazy because they have long nails. Well, if they've rendered their hands useless. They're still doing stuff. But the, I'm, the people I'm talking about growing up, they weren't really doing it. They were fucking everything up. It was taking way too long, all because they wanted these crazy long It takes nails. a little extra. And in fact, I, you know, I have admiration. I'm like, wow, they're really pushing through uh-huh. this nail issue to get their shit done. Like me, today when I was editing, I was like, whew, this is slowing me down a little Ex- bit. Exactly, but slowing I'm you down. I'm pushing through. Uh, yeah. Because you, you can have it all. <laughs> As a woman. That's a great takeaway. I love your take on it. Thank you. How about this? You show up to the tire place I took you to, and the mechanic that's going to be working on your tire has handcuffed his arms together. Okay. I'm going he to a can still place. do it. So I'm going to go to a different... Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh. You're going to go to a different place. But yeah, the guy could change your tire with handcuffed wrists. Mm-hmm. But you're like, I don't want someone dealing with the added hurdle of working in handcuffs to do my tire. I want them to be like fully capable to do it. But an able-bodied person who purposely makes it harder for them to do their job, I, it's just a confusing thing, I guess, for me. Do you think I'm making a lot of enemies with this point yeah. of view? Because you're kind of hot, I can tell yeah. under the collar. Well, I, I feel like this is sexist and I can't really fully articulate it. So I'm having a hard time knowing how to respond. But I, I do, I don't, I feel like there's something inherently patriarchal in this. I can make the argument for you that I think would go ahead support that, which is society is demanding that women, you know, decorate their nails and pay attention and, and, and have that as some kind of accoutrement, their nails. And because that's the role they're in, and then you're going to be judgmental of them, of how they do their job once they're just abiding by the societal pressure to do the nails. I think that's where it could be potentially be sexist. Like, but, but I don't, I don't want women to have long nails, yeah, nor do any of the men I know. I think the women are driving the long nails. Yeah. That's not my issue with it. Okay. I think my issue is I should be able to have long nails and feel good about that and like them and not feel like it's a, it's silly. Like I should still be able to be taken seriously with awesome nails. Yeah, but you just said it made it harder to edit. Yeah, so, but I did it. It wasn't like I was like, uh, well, I guess I can't. No, I know. I know. I know. Um, and it took you more effort and longer. So if I'm in a customer service situation and it has to take longer for me to get my appointment made for the dentist because that person has an aesthetic that is slowing them down. You can see where that's a little annoying. I mean, I think there are probably some things that having a hugely muscular body prohibits. Tell me. 
walking through doors, (laughs) small doors. If you need to get something tiny under a, that fell under your chair, you can't get it. Your hands are too thick. So sure, in that hypothetical, if I'm somewhere where a guy has gotten himself so enormous he can't perform his job, I would be the first to say, well, dude, either you need a different career or this thing has gotten really in your way and now in my way. If you've gotten your body so muscular you can't perform your job as a mechanic, you either need to give up being a mechanic or give up being muscular. You can't have it all and then I pay the price as the customer. I think people should be able to do what they want. I do too. I don't I'm not asking to pass a law that you can't have long nails or that anyone can't have long nails. I'm only being honest about the fact that when they're trying to dial a phone and they can't do it, I'm like this is a little bit crazy. We'll agree to disagree. <laughs> okay. But I do think can I suggest this? You know, there was the whole period during uh, the word Vogue, right? Where what, what Vogue comes from is specifically comes from, I believe, the movement where women were overweight intentionally to to demonstrate that they were of a status that they had ample food because it was actually a display of wealth. Mm-hmm. And so when I understand the fundamental reason that people would be attracted to that, that uh, bothers me. I'm like, that's, I don't love the reason you're attracted to that because it represents wealth. Mm-hmm. So similarly, I think having nails that are so preposterously large, it is sending a message, I don't need to work. Just, no. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't know how to, I, no. I know so many people with long nails who are extremely hard workers, including your wife, me, I'm Laura. not talking about you guys. You guys are all, you guys are both really, really hard workers. I'm talking about the initial movement to have really long nails that make it impractical to do almost anything. That to me seems like a statement of, I don't need to do anything. That's why I can have these. What do you think of high heels? You should be able to wear them if you want to wear them, if it makes you feel good. Absolutely. Even if it slows you down or it hurts. You'll never hear an argument from me that people shouldn't be allowed to do anything. So that's not my position that people shouldn't be allowed to. People well, should I be mean, allowed to I wear mean, stilts. They shouldn't to work. get judged. Not they shouldn't be allowed. They shouldn't get judged for it. I think people should be able to wear stilts to work if that's their jam. Yeah. Awesome. Be, work in an office building and arrive on stilts. But if the stilts are getting in the way, I can also observe. Wow, those stilts are really causing you to be 10 minutes late because there's only stairs and no elevator. You know, I'm just saying you can have like a logical breakdown of... You can, but you're breaking it down logically and then skipping to something offensive, which is that they're lazy. Then you're making an assumption about their entire character. And I think that's the problem. You can say, oh, that's a bit impractical. Yeah. Because that's that's just an observation. And I think the statement is, I don't actually need to have functional hands. And that statement to me reads as lazy. But no one is saying that by that. You're deciding that it means that, I'm, I'm that questioning, do you think perhaps the root of it is similar to the root of heavy girls being in vogue because it represented they had a lot of extra wealth? It is possible that the long nails thing was a similar statement. And if that was, I could be totally wrong. If the statement is, I don't work, I'm not a laborer, I can have these crazy long fingernails that are impractical, then I don't love that message. Sure, but if you're making that up. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm hypothesizing, which is what we do on this show. Okay, okay. If that's true, then that's fair for you to have an opinion on it. Thank you. That's all I'm saying. I'm not calling any individual lazy, but I'm saying if there is an aesthetic statement 
But really the underlying statement is I don't actually do manual labor. I don't know that I love that. And I would say that reads is lazy. Um, okay. I'm going to get into some facts. Okay, great. Shaq's short girlfriend. Yes. Her name is Nicole Hoops Alexander. Fuck yeah. Hoops is a nickname? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, they're not together anymore, but she is 5'2". That's not that short. It's not. I mean, it's short, but it's it's not extreme. Can I read you something? Sure. This is Wikipedia's artificial nails. Artificial nails, also known as fake nails. <laughs> what? I just wanted to see Rob's face for what was about to happen. Okay. Artificial nails, also known as fake nails, false nails, fashion nails, acrylic nails, nail extensions, or nail enhancements, are extensions placed over the fingernail, blah, blah, blah. History. During the Ming Dynasty of China, noble women wore very long artificial nails as a status symbol, indicating that unlike commoners, they did not have to do manual labor. There you go. So that is the exact root of the nails. Okay. Okay. I did. And I just, you don't, and you, and you think that is gross, kind of like feet binding, anything that is a, um, a statement that I either am rich yeah. or I don't need to work. Yeah. I'm, I object to those kind of aesthetics rooted in that. But you don't object to the aesthetic of I'm powerful. I'm strong. Which is I'm powerful, which is I, I can overtake someone. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't agree on that. The goal is to look strong. And for men, strength is a calling card of maleness, right? Because of power. Yeah, you're saying power. I don't agree with power. I think there's a lot of bodybuilders that don't feel like they have any power in the world and they can't sway anything, but they're strong. They can lift stuff. But I think they, there's a ton of muscle guys that feel very disempowered socioeconomically. But don't you think that's part of what drives them to that profession is needing control and fe wanting to feel empowered and powerful i think a good percentage of the bodybuilders are people who are victimized as kids and they want to get so big no one will ever harm them again i think that's the root of most of the bodybuilding in my opinion mm -hmm. i don't think they're power hungry people i think they're um scared and then i think there's like control freak uh segment of bodybuilding like you're saying that the ultimate sign of control is you can turn your body into something that was never designed to look for. So I think people are drawn to it from for control, but I think largely it was people who felt vulnerable. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not making a judgment on the the humans. I'm saying that the aesthetic is presenting I am strong and powerful. That's what it in my opinion. When I see someone who's very built. Yeah. I think that I think of like Garcetti is powerful. I think of like President uh, Dean of UCLA is powerful. I don't think when I see at a baseball game, we we saw one not too long ago when the four of us went, the boys, there was a guy who was like probably 290 pounds. So when I see that guy at the game, I'm like, dude, that guy's fucking huge. Of course, I'm drawn to looking at him. But I also don't think that guy's powerful or succeeding or thriving or, you know. So do you think the people who you see at the receptionist desk who have long nails are, are proving that they don't need to work? They are working and they're trying hard and they're probably also insecure and I feel bad for feel those people. And I feel that they are the victims of a aesthetic that is saying that they have status. So yeah, I feel bad. 
that that is a marker of status and aesthetic in our culture. Mm. And I'm questioning it at all times, just like high heels. High heels are fucking ridiculous. They're absolutely ridiculous. That women would have to walk on an angle is so preposterous. <laughs> and it needs to be questioned, you know? Now, if women want to wear them because they feel pretty in them, yeah. that's awesome. I'm Again, I'm not proposing any laws. I'm just, I think it's, we do well to question why we are attracted to the things we're attracted to. Mm-hmm. And when I think they're based in um, money fetishizing, I don't like them generally. Yep. That's on brand. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. He said the term in between game, and I, I tried to look it up, but- it wasn't in the basketball glossary that I found, so it might be a real deep cut. I think he's referring to the game of life. Yeah. Like to get through all those potholes over all those roadblocks, mm-hmm. growing up where he did, that that was the big game or the game in between, the real life game other than the basketball game. Like how do you get yourself successfully to each basketball game? There's like a whole game for him to even end up there that's being played Every time he's off the court, which right. is managing that neighborhood, managing yeah. other guys, managing everything. Yeah. What a story. I love him. When he would smile, it felt so special. He had a great smile. Oh. Has a great smile. It was... um Pyrotechnic. It exploded your pants. It did. It sure <laughs> did. I, I couldn't find out if that girl was a bot. Really, I just didn't want to do research because I thought, what if it put a virus on my phone? Oh, that girl's definitely not a bot. We went to her page. How do we, you went to her, oh yeah, Yeah, Rob went to her page. Yeah, and bots only have like nine pictures. Uh This woman's had a whole life for seven years on Instagram, so it's not a bot. Um, Okay, that's all. Oh no. For Carmelo Anthony. Well, good thing we argued about nails for so long. Yeah, good thing. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye.